liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows just don't get treated like a hoe Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. Today, I have on a longtime friend of mine. Well, now long time. <laughs> uh, the, the great Guy Swan of uh, Bitcoin Audible fame. Welcome aboard, man. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Good talking again, Clint. Yeah, you're sound, you're sound a little little under the weather. Uh, you told me you're, you're just getting over COVID. How was your experience with it? Yeah, it was, um, it was like getting sick. <laughs> oh, really? Um, it's like yeah, it's like yeah. a cold, huh? <laughs> yep. And uh, I think I got it at uh, TabConf, um, which I usually, which is funny because like for the last two years, I've actually still just been traveling like crazy, um, yeah. lots of different conferences. And uh, while I was down in Mexico, I actually just picked up. I went to the pharmacy and picked up ivermectin because I just kind of assumed that if I was going to get it, it is probably when I got when I went to Mexico. Um, right. And because uh, I knew I was going to be there the longest of any of my trips as well. And uh, still didn't, you know, I went two whole years and, and nothing, but I had like one, like the night before I left TabConf in, in Atlanta, um, I had one really bad night of drinking, like, mm. like one of those things where like, you know, you're, you're three fourths away there and you're like, man, I'm, I'm in a really good spot. You know, I should probably not drink that next drink. And then someone and, screams shots. And somebody, we went up to some room on like the 10th floor and somebody had just an entire bar laid out in like the yeah. back of the room. And somebody poured me like a like a solo cup of alcohol. And I, I, I I'm thinking that this is like a normal drink, like somebody put like a shot in this thing. And I literally think I got like a cup of alcohol <laughs> and, and I proceeded to drink the whole thing in like the next 30 or 40 minutes. I was so sick. I was miserable the next day. <laughs> Two days later, I've got COVID. It's just like a perfect storm. It's like, yeah, no shit, of course. Yeah. Oh, well, I think I, I think that's, I mean, I've heard a lot of young, healthy people have had the same issue is like, it's when their immune system gets beat up. So oftentimes, yeah. a, you know, a heavy drinking night, especially with being around a bunch of people that might've had it, that's kind of how it seems to take hold. So uh, did you lose taste, smell, all that, or was it relatively mild? You know, outside of the fact that I'm really stopped up and like my sinuses are kind of like, you know, screaming at my head. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I don't think I really lost any sense of smell. I mean, like I couldn't smell shit, but like I'm just right. kind of stopped up, I think. Um, <laughs> we'll we'll and, find uh, out once you're well, if you can still smell. Yeah, 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 we'll see. Um, but uh, yeah, it was mostly just like the first like two or three days I had like a pretty decent fever like the first night actually i got up to like 102 it was like 101.8 or something i was feeling yeah. pretty rough um and uh then it just kind of took it easy i actually recorded uh managed to still record a uh chapter of the audiobook my sinuses didn't get really bad for like three days um Beautiful. so i could still record i was just overheated just a bit felt like shit <laughs> yeah yeah just felt like shit and well, uh uh but then yeah yeah it's just been Kind of downhill from there. I've just been getting better. It's been a week and two week and a day. Nice. Oh wait, no, I guess it's Monday, so it's been a week exactly. Okay. Well, it sounds like you're on the other other side of it, so I'm I'm grateful to hear that you you beat yeah, the 99 yeah. odds. I'm proud of you. Um. <laughs> so 
<laughs> so Woo, I, I, that was a close call. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to get an update from you on the the regulatory front. Is that something that you could you could enlighten the audience on? In terms of uh, obviously, there's constant uh, murmurs, the rumor mill. Mm-hmm. Do you have any insight into what you actually expect to see rolled out in terms of regulate regulate regulation of the industry, the cryptocurrency market, etc.? Yeah. So there's been a bunch of conflicting stuff, actually. Um, At the state level, things are looking wonderful. Um, Lots of states and uh, uh, governors, uh, mayors, like all at those levels are getting very friendly. Um, Seeing a lot of, uh, it's actually pretty shocking. I think we're like at five or six mayors now who have announced that they're going to get part of their pay or even some of them, like one of them, I think even all of their pay in Bitcoin. Um, is that Suarez? Is, the Miami. I think Suarez name? was the one that had yeah. the most on the plate. Um, I'm I'm in Miami uh, right now, so. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah. Um, I wondered if that's where you were. Um, but uh, yeah, and, you know, Suarez has kind of been, <clears throat> you know, neck deep in it for a good little while now. But then there was uh, somebody in uh, Wyoming. Um, I mean, just a, a bunch of other little ones have just started kind of popping up that I've never heard of. Um, right. That I spoke to before, and. Uh, uh, and then on the state side, uh, Texas and Wyoming and Florida. And now it's looking like uh, uh, New York, which has been pretty much hostile the whole time. Uh, that's basically the only way to put it, because um, there's like some cur- companies that literally they're available everywhere except for like North Korea, China and New York, because yeah. just of how awful their regulatory environment is right now. Um, but uh uh, now the uh, New York City mayor um, is very friendly, uh, or at least being pompous about, you know, just doing their political thing and like, you know, saying I'm friendly towards this. Right. Um, Pretending we'll see least. how far that goes. Yeah. <laughs> My trust of politicians is somewhere underneath the dirt. You only wait. You have to find it with a shovel. Um, <laughs> is that is that Kathy Hockle, the, the replacement for Cuomo? Um. I think that's her name. No, Cuomo's. Uh, oh shit! I get God. I get stuck. I know all it's mixed up. It's, it's New um, York politics. Uh, anyways, I, I was curious. It's a guy. I can't remember. Oh, his it is name. a guy. Okay. Do, yeah. do you think that that the reason that they're shifting is just simply because it it appears to be inevitable, or is it? Uh, did they did they drag their feet because the old money capital players are are in New York, or do you have any thesis on that? I think that uh, Bitcoin. And, uh, and even crypto, um, but just the space is such a powerful cultural force right now. Mm. Um, and it's very, very hard to ignore. Uh, like, like if you see, like every time the IMF and the WEF and the World Bank or whatever, when those people tweet or put something on social media, they get absolutely clobbered. Yes. Absolutely clobbered. It's by beautiful. <laughs> it's gorgeous. It's absolutely yeah. gorgeous. It's great. I was talking on the Preston Pisha show the other day and I was saying, and they were talking about, you know, uh, I gave the analogy that they're used to this propaganda model where as long as they push the narrative out, everything works in their favor because the, the goal is to just flood with the narrative, flood the mm. narrative and everybody just hears it as much as possible. But they're used to a passive media environment 
They're used to cable television. They're used to just pumping it out in the airwaves. And, you know, you can't argue with your TV. I mean, people do, but, you know, nobody hears you, right? Like you're by yourself. You're just consuming the propaganda. And <laughs> that's why Twitter media, exists is so that we can scream while we watch the corporate media. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and social media is a very different environment. Like you get responses, you get interaction. It's, it's not a passive environment. And in doing so, they think that their mechanism of just blasting out the propaganda is going to provide the same results because this is just where the people are now. But it's not. They essentially are doing the equivalent of like going into the town square and tying themselves up to a pole and letting people throw tomatoes at them. Mm. And, uh, and that's what we get. Like people just absolutely drag them through the mud. Um, and they're gleefully putting themselves on display. Uh, and, uh, and I think that's very, very hard to ignore. And then when you, you tie that in with the amount of inflation and the clear fragility and like level of problems that we have going on right now in the financial system and just the economy in general, I mean, the whole thing is just a shit show. You have to be the most marshmallow dependent sheep possible to believe any of the horseshit that is being fed by uh, by this system right now. It is so stupid. It is so stupid. I was just reading a tweet by Biden the other day, and I just, I, I like, I, I wanted, I almost lost a blood vessel in my brain just reading this thing. I, already, like I already know which one it is, this. but go ahead. <laughs> people believe this. It was like, it was like, uh, are everything so bad because of COVID? And it's all it's all COVID's fault that we did this and the supply chain is bad and the prices are high and we gotta we gotta pass a four trillion dollar stimulus bill to make all the prices go back down. <laughs> I knew I knew it was gonna Christ. be that one. Uh, so you're telling you're telling me that printing four trillion dollars uh, for infrastructure doesn't decrease prices across the board? Come on. <sighs> guys say obviously, it so obviously it does <laughs> Dude, the the whole inflation shit is just mind-boggling to me like they just the, the the twistings like everything everything causes inflation except for printing money right now exactly like everything if you're, if you're change, unvaccinated you're, you're heart attacks inflation. unvaccinated <laughs> like all of those things cause inflation Money printing does not cause inflation. It's the only thing that doesn't, actually. Yeah, it's the only, <laughs> cool. it's the, it's the only thing that doesn't. Who knew? I mean, had you I You have inefficient windows in your house, that causes inflation. <laughs> your, your Austrian economics background also causing inflation. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is, this is really concerning to me. And I, you know, I've been, I've been fear-mongering economically for a while, a while now, but now it's getting to a fever pitch where I'm like, yeah. It's like, you know, you have those those memes of the carts that working and then like the fourth wheel is is uh, like Steve Buscemi's face or something. I feel like the entire cart is riding on Steve Buscemi's face just, right now. It's just it's I'm very Steve nervous. Buscemi's freak, freaked out head, just like everything's rolling on top of it. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, uh, but the uh, I think the federal government is going to be trying very hard to make the regulatory environment not friendly. Um, uh, I think they're, I'm increasingly worried about this unrealized capital gain stuff. Um, yes. I think, I think that is going to be like the disaster. I, like, I don't know that that's one of those things that makes me think this is a controlled demolition. Me too. You know, like the only possible, like I cannot bring myself, I like, I know they are corrupt and I know they are incompetent, but I cannot believe 
I cannot bring myself to believe that they are that stupid. You know, they are in charge of the global financial system. You know, this is the Federal Reserve. They didn't get there because just like, like you can't be mentally handicapped and be in that <laughs> position. You know, you have to be at least intelligent enough to follow a logical thought process. Mm -hmm. Whether or not you will lie and you will, uh, you will stretch the truth as far as you can to make it seem like you can do this thing or the other thing, whatever it is, you're not so unbelievably stupid that you cannot foresee the blatantly obvious consequences of an unrealized capital gains tax. Um, like they're that detached is, from reality, but they're not totally retarded, I think is what you're saying. They're, and they're, they're just, they can't be. They can't I, be. I agree. And, and for the listening audience that doesn't understand what we're talking about, I'm sure most of you do. But if you don't and you feel like, hey, explain what the hell this means. Uh, unrealized capital gains tax would be a tax on gains that you have not realized. So say you bought Bitcoin at 10,000, you're sitting on it, and it's now at 65,000. They would just hit you up at the end of the year and say, hey, you have to pay taxes on that gain, that gain being 55,000 per Bitcoin you own. Uh, well, <clears throat> how are you going to pay that tax if you are holding that asset? And, and because you have not realized the gain, you haven't sold the house, you haven't sold the Bitcoin, whatever the asset is. They want to tax you annually on it. So what that would amount to is a liquidation event every tax season where everyone that's holding you know, outsized capital gains would be forced to liquidate a portion of their holdings in order to pay their tax bill. It is suicide. It's the exact opposite of what you would want to do if you believe in capitalism, if you want to grow the economy, if you want to grow the market. It's, I mean, it's, it's madness, but I think you're right. If they do proceed with it, I, I can conclude only one thing. This is an intentional controlled demolition of the economy. And I don't see any other way to conclude anything else. Yeah, because, and, and what's, I mean, there's, it's impossible to say this is the ridiculous thing about it, but like in a liquidation event to even sell off an unrealized gain is exactly what affects the price, which means that people are all going to just owe taxes on something that doesn't even, it is, isn't even worth the taxes that you owe on it anymore. True. So if if you force a liquidation event, the five for the first five people who sell out are the only ones that are going to be able to afford the tax. Everybody else is selling out at 10% down and 20% down and 30% down. Like they're chasing, they're going to owe, they're going to owe taxes on a $60,000 Bitcoin and they're going to have to sell it for 25. And then the price is going to go back up after, after the whole liquidation event. And they're going to just be, they're going to be absolutely clobbered. Yep. They're going to lose everything. There's a lot of bullshit going around in terms of employment, people trying to shove government mandates down your throat as a condition for earning a living. It's time to expand your personal freedom and increase your opportunity surface so that you can find employment that aligns with your values and be free from being jerked around by a bunch of crappy policies that you don't agree with. Go to Crash.co, sign up for free, get the daily job hunt in your inbox every single morning, information, inspiration to help you enhance your career. And there's a whole bunch of free member benefits you get as a subscriber as well. Check it out, crash.co. Thanks for listening. So and, what does that amount to? It amounts to only the well-heeled, only those with like either lines of credit, lines of credit or right. tremendous assets. They, they can actually pay the taxes without liquidating. Um, but the truth is those people are going to front run this, this action. They're going to sell and then they're going to buy back when people are forced to sell. So it's yeah. it's all I mean, it's it's once again, further evidence that they're I, I don't know if they're intentionally forcing income inequality, but damn, if you wanted to make it 10 times worse, this is how you would do it.
Yeah, I don't know. Like, like, like it's hard to, it's hard to separate that intention from it because if you were intending to do it, you would be doing really, really good job. You know, <laughs> exactly. just, just like a really good job. So whether whether I, you mean to or not, you're kicking ass at it, guys. You are really yeah. making income inequality <laughs> a thing to stay. Makes well, me sick. Just well done. Well done. <laughs> so, so what do you think? Uh, I mean, besides the the uh, unrealized capital gains tax that they floated, what about the other regulatory rumors that are out there? Is there anything that's materialized recently? Well, in the in the infrastructure bill, um, which I think I think the one in question is still in limbo, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but the language that was being fought for extended a minute it's extended periods um for like i think they put the whole bill on hold for like four or five days while everybody was screaming about this like crypto the distinction of like uh oh i can't remember broker broker was the term hmm. and that like developers were even considered brokers and anybody who facilitated exchange of um crypto or bitcoin uh, it facilitated a transaction um, and that it was specifically written in such a way that it sounded like like my lightning node, which never never holds anybody else's coins, but certainly wow. facilitates transactions would be a broker. And I would have to get like a money transmitter license or whatever. And it's like, I, wow. I'm not going to do that. Like I'm just, so, and they would probably require KYC and all that too. I would imagine. Exactly. That's the whole point of it is yeah. to try to force KYC AML, um, and also hold services, node operators, uh, potentially miners and developers liable, um, for if they did not, and then somebody did something with Bitcoin, it's like, oh, I'm going to arrest a developer because they made it so you could do transactions. Wow. So, so, so they're going to. We're going to have um, a thousand more Ross Albrooks out there. Beautiful. Um, for, for those that feel as if we might be talking over you in terms of KYC and things like that, hop on over to Bitcoin Audible and learn from the master himself, Guy Swan, as he, <laughs> as he educates you as to what we're talking about. I have already done episodes on Bitcoin in the past where we broke down some of the more rudimentary items. This is going to be a little bit higher level. Um, so just bear with us. Uh, most of this stuff, it sounds like you know Chinese, but you, you pick it up over time. So uh, hang in there. Yeah, the just just for simplicity's sake, uh, KYC is know your customer. AML is anti money laundering. It's just all the shit where you have to scan your butthole and send in a DNA sample every time you get a bank account and all that stuff. Um, yep. And uh, they're basically trying to force anybody who runs a Bitcoin node or a Lightning node. Um, well, this is really focused at DeFi, I think, um, which is interesting too because we'll find out just how decentralized it is. Which I think they're just I think there's going to be tons and tons of capitulation and complying. Uh, in that field, um, because I think the vast majority is not actually focused on creating robust against state actors systems. They're just trying to financialize as quick as possible in the digital space. Um, so uh, unfortunately, it's uh, this is this is actually a problem of the bull market in a in a weird way because mm -hmm. there's so much money floating around out there that unless you are already truly, truly wealthy, or you're just a psychotically principled person, you're going to chase that easy dollar for the most part. And I think that yeah. we're going to find that the crypto space, um, DeFi, et cetera, uh, that's decentralized finance for those who don't know. Um, I think you're going to, you're going to find that there's a ton of scumbags in there or, or at least people that got oh, yeah. 
tainted, you know, by, by the allure of an easy dollar. And it's, it's tough because I know, you know, I think I like that bear we're, markets, man, bear markets. Yeah, me too. Best. Me too. I, <laughs> I think, I think we're on the cusp of a bear market and, and I think that's, you know, you'll, you'll obviously that'll be the shakeout, but in the, in that interim, you're going to find a lot of people are really bad actors and you're going to, you're going to see a lot of people lose a lot of money. Um, do you, do you have any uh, recommendations as to like who to listen to, to kind of not get caught up in the the bad actors? Um, I am a strictly Bitcoin focused because I think this, the entire industry and everything is going to be tested heavily um, and pressured in a lot of different ways in a lot of different countries. And if robustness and resilience is not held higher than anything else is as as the paramount function of the network um then i think you're going to see all sorts of un unfriendly and unwelcome rules and what's the word um intermediaries and barriers being put up all over the place mm -hmm. like, like i think the environment that we think of as crypto and DeFi and all of that stuff now is going to change drastically and I do not want to be touching anything like, like maybe there is maybe when the smoke clears, there's stuff there, you know, I, I don't really know, but I don't want to be in the gambling game of which one is which, Sure, you know, um, I'm just, I, I think this is, you know, we're, we're here to solve money. Right. right. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of holding the bedrock and I, I just want to be, I want to be with the bedrock, like, the fucking world is shaking. I'm strapped to the bedrock. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it. I, I don't have any problem with that. I mean, I'm probably a 90% plus Bitcoin holder mm -hmm. myself. So like the, all the other stuff is extremely speculative, speculative, but I just, I look at the Bitcoin as like, this is my apocalypse fund, you know, <laughs> like if, right? shit, yeah. if shit really that's goes crazy. Feels like. I mean, yeah. it does. It does. I mean, it feels it. It's so, I think the thing that's hardest for me to deal with is like, I feel like you're not supposed to know the apocalypse is coming. So I must be wrong. You know, like, you know what That's I'm saying? That's a good point. You know, That's like, a good point. you shouldn't like, be able to, it's not I, like I on the horizon, you know, it's like, it's like, oh, yeah, exactly. Like, like, is it possible? You're supposed yet? to get, oh, you're, no, no. <laughs> you're supposed to get 20 seconds notice before the nuke hits. Like, you're not supposed, or, or yeah. maybe 24 hours before the asteroid impact. You're not supposed to have like, a year, like a year and a half run up where I'm like, it's coming. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> makes me feel wrong. I don't know. It's like slow motion. It's like, I don't, I don't, I feel like I'm cheating. There's like a, <laughs> something's weird going on here. It is. It's very weird. Um, so I had, I had another question for you about um, Evergrande. And I don't know if you've followed that at all. It's one of the biggest construction lenders in China. Are you familiar at all? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, not with details, but yes, I know what you're talking about in there. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm not, not asking for specific details as much as I want to run my thesis by you. Um, so obviously Bitcoin is banking, not just on the death of the dollar, but death on fiat globally. Um, I, my thesis has been that for the longest time, I thought that America would tip first um, simply because I hadn't seen enough economic weakness and because China kind of runs things, or not kind of, almost entirely runs things in a top-down fashion. They seem to be really uh, managing their descent or growth or whatever you want to call it uh, pretty well up until recently. And then Evergrande, who's one of their biggest lenders, uh, goes bankrupt last week. And I'm starting to think, okay, maybe this is uh, a tipping point. Maybe this is the first domino in China. 
my, my thesis being that if China were to actually have an economic depression prior to the United States, which doesn't really make a lot of sense because America ought to be in depression too, but the strength of the dollar and the fact that we're printing so aggressively, maybe we outlast them, they collapse first. That could in turn, as the, the currency there, uh, I think it's Yuan, uh, collapses because they have to print out, maybe that strengthens the US dollar and kind of gives America a little bit of additional time. What do you think about all of those ingredients <laughs> thrown in the pot? I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but how, how does that affect the ultimate, uh, I don't know, dominance of Bitcoin? So I kind of agree with your latter assessment is that um, I have, uh, my contention is that the US dollar is going to be the last to go. Mm, um, okay. It is without a doubt the biggest and one of the most painfully placed um, or uh, uh, one of the largest imbalances, but relatively um, with the size and scope of the international market and the, and the very fact that the global financial system, like you still cannot, without US dollars, you cannot do meaningful international trade. It is the US financial infrastructure and you know the Bank of International Settlements and all these things. These things are dollar institutions, period. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, or at least in, to, the, to the point that it is going to prop the entire thing up for quite some time because of other currencies dying. Um, like, and, and we actually see this a little bit. You know, Argentina goes, uh, Venezuela goes, Lebanon goes. These things provide, they bolster, they, they, they pull up the base of the US dollar and they make all of this printing and bullshit that we're doing over here easier for us. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's going to continue as the dominoes keep falling. I think I think we've been watching the dominoes fall. I think it's just a very long line of dominoes and they're very, very big dominoes. So it all falls very, very slowly. But uh, and I think China goes before the US. Um, yes, they have manufacturing. Yes, they have a much stronger, uh, I guess, like independent economic base in a sense, but their financial system is a shit show. Like it is just across the modern world. Everybody is a fucking disaster right now. Um, and uh, so as the dominoes fall, every single time a non-US currency, uh, a non-US dollar currency collapses, that a huge portion of that value is going to flood into the dollar. But the thing is, is that a part of that value is going to flood into Bitcoin every time too. Right. Um, and uh and just like you said there's gonna be a lot of people who are saying this is my apocalypse fund and uh and they're going to increasingly look at the world and be like oh it is a fucking apocalypse right now um and uh and i think that gap is going to get bigger and bigger and there will be some sort of a flip uh a a, a tipping point where there is a meaningful where you're just looking at Bitcoin and you realize from an international perspective, particularly as some very important currencies begin to dwindle into almost just, just utter pain in, in their economic environments, uh, Bitcoin is going to be a huge player all of a sudden. And suddenly all of these fiat institutions and the fiat central banks and the international uh, monetary fund, these things, are not going to be able to make policy decisions in the environment that they once had. Because an 
introducing a player of a, a monetary player that they cannot control or that does not respond to them with another government policy um, completely changes the outcome of all of their policy decisions. Right. Like their policies don't work in that environment. Bitcoin is simply not big enough yet to change the to alter the environment environment such that the policies don't do the same thing anymore but it will very soon i think hmm. um soon in a matter of years um and uh and when that happens i think it's going to get very interesting very quickly um but i don't see you know there's this hyper bitcoinization and like everything's going to digital and crypto and like all this stuff I don't see it quite happening like that because just the sheer amount of infrastructure that needs to change. And I mean, like we're talking about like brick and mortar building. We're still looking at decades of what needs to be built for, for this to really work. Um, and I think it's more of a, I think the better comparison is the internet and the analog systems is the analog systems still aren't quite gone. Right. Mm -hmm. But the internet is basically it. Right. Like it's we are we are a fully digital packet switching world. Um, I think that's kind of what we're looking at. I think the first thing it's going to do is actually save fiat. Um, it won't save monetary policy. It won't save uh, uh, sovereign debts. It will obliterate sovereign debts. Government debt will government debt is going to finally collapse. It's going to go back to what it was in the eighteen seventies. Uh, which is public did not hold government debt, period. You just didn't do it. It was stupid. Um, unless it was war and they were, you know, getting up on stage and begging you to buy bonds. You just didn't you just didn't hold bonds. Now it's like the reserve. Everybody just holds bonds. If you have a billion dollars, the only place you put it is bonds. That's yeah. ridiculous. In a, in a sound money environment. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And uh, in a sound money environment, that doesn't exist. Right. The The bubble... The huge bull run, the 50, 60 year bull run in bonds is gone. Um, and I think we're waiting for that to unravel. And the thing is, is we need a place for that 50, $50 trillion, whatever the hell it is. Well, it's enormous. I don't even know. Um, and uh, that's that's what I think we're watching unravel. Um, wow. is bit, we're watching Bitcoin's a only, sovereign uh... debt crisis. And government debt, sovereign debt across the world is being revealed to be worthless and backed by the full faith and credit of fuck all. And uh, we are going to watch that capital flow out into every other hard asset that anybody can even come close to just, just in any way get their hands on. And as Bitcoin becomes a $3 trillion, $4 trillion asset, um, I think people are going to look at that in a very, very different way and see the incredible benefits it has in exactly that sort of realm and to hedge as an insurance policy against exactly that sort of problem. Mm -hmm. um, and there were going to, there are going to be people with hundreds of billions of dollars who just have no, they're just like, I don't know, where, where the hell else am I going to put this stuff? Like the money's just going to fucking evaporate if I don't do anything with it, if I don't do this, right. something with it. So um, well, that is a recipe for hyper bitcoinization as you said and and for those yeah, yeah for those listening he uh he said fuck all not foucault so don't get your philosopher's <laughs> cap on um yeah. <laughs> well that, i blame that's covid a, i blame covid <laughs> that's a, that's an interesting thesis and and uh you know it's hard for me not to agree to be honest like it but it also 
it aligns with my preconceived notions. So I'm trying to be skeptical. It, I mean, <laughs> yeah, sure. it seems as if there would be such an enormous amount of economic pain to the people if the United if if all global governments, if fiat, I mean, obviously, like you said, fiat will be uh, buoyed, especially the US dollar will be buoyed as other global currencies go bankrupt uh, or, you know, become confetti. Um, what does that amount to, though, in terms of like the lifestyle of the people that live under these, you know, now collapsed regimes? Um, messy. Um, but the good thing is, is that with any sort of store of value as an alternative, particularly one that's being monetized, one, one that's in, in its growth phase, is that, you know, you can put 1% of your capital allocation toward it. 5% of your capital allocation towards Bitcoin. And then in the midst of the dollar or, you know, some other currency collapsing, you could actually see a combination of A, your, your dollar denominated assets falling, but then your Bitcoin denominated assets growing. And, and like not just nominally growing, but like really growing. Mm -hmm. And suddenly what was 5% of your portfolio is 80% of your portfolio. Um, and that that doesn't have to have that doesn't have to take very long um, in this environment, both with the the potential of a credit crisis. Um, like, I think we're going to have a credit another credit crisis pretty soon. Um, I, I feel like I don't know. It just feels like the pressure is brewing for that. Um, well, Ever, Evergrande, I mean, people think that we're disconnected. But if you understand no, the, the globally no, no. connected nature of, of, you know, high finance, like, yeah, Evergrande could very well be a domino that doesn't just. Yeah destroy China, but also creates knock-on effects in America and creates a, you know, a, a real bear run on debt. It, I don't know. It's, it's very, it's very interesting because there's, there's just so many factors. People, people always ask me for my input because like I have made predictions in the past about what I see coming at this point, there are so many variables. It's very hard for me to, to give people guidance. I basically, I just tell them like, stay tuned. You know, it, I tell them watch 30 year, uh, you know, mortgage rates and watch uh, mm -hmm. the 10 year bond. Like that's the best I can do really at this point, because if you see a spike there, I think that we're going to have a deflationary collapse here prior to a hyperinflationary death of the dollar. And if you don't see a spike there, maybe we're, we're going straight into hyperinflation now. I don't know. Um, do you have any opinion as to, to how it plays out? I, I know I just said, I don't, so I don't, I wouldn't blame you if you don't either. Um, not, not enough to make some sort of a prediction. Uh, sure. But I'll say, uh, read When Money Dies. Hmm. Uh, uh, read that book, I don't know, a couple months ago now, which I've been meaning to get to it for a long time. And it's so crazy, the just the sheer number of parallels between uh, where we are today and Weimar Germany back during the, the hyperinflation. Uh, and one of the things that was just so eye-opening was that there's literally a section that just talks about like literally everybody, everybody. Like you could just talk to any random cousin or friend or person on the street. Everybody's trading. Everybody's in the stock market. Everybody's, mm -hmm. everybody's dabbling in assets and trading. Why? Because everybody thought they were getting rich. Mm -hmm. Asset prices are going up. Stock, is, stock, stock market's going up. Um, all because of inflation, but they're just chasing nominal returns. And uh, there's a piece uh, by uh, Luda Magister, uh, Aaron, Aaron Siegel, I think is his name. Um, 
and uh, I read it on Bitcoin Magazine recently. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, it's called Revenge of the Nodes. And it's a brilliant piece. It's like an hour and 30 minutes in audio. Um, it's a beast of, a, uh, of work. But he collects some amazing data points on showing just how much the inflows of capital into the stock markets, into the equity market it's right now is. And like compares it to like going back to like the last 20 or 30 years. And inflows is just like just a little bit of trickle, you know, every year. It's just like generally the same environment. And in the last two years, we've seen like one to two trillion dollars inflow. Like, I mean, yeah. like the chart is just idiotic. Like it just like everybody just boom, all, all our money's in stock market. And because of that, they're having to the only answer is to increasingly centralize the financial system, because what you then have is that the only way to keep all of your citizens afloat when all of your citizens are now passively invested in the stock market and indices and on Robin Hood or whatever. Um, hey, guys, shut up. Um, <laughs> Don't worry about it. Uh, uh, they're like passively invested in these uh, instruments. And basically the only role, the only uh, way out, the only way to save, quote unquote, the economy is to now just keep pumping up these indices and re-centralizing them because I mean, nobody's got time to trade all of these things or become an investor and like pick and choose so they're just throwing money at the stock market but all it is literally doing is just tying like a ton of us are sinking right now everybody's in debt and the entire mechanism is starting to collapse like the the titanic is sinking and rather than separating separating and dealing with our our individual little sinking holes like one at a time so that we're not tied to each other we're literally just anchoring to the next person right. and that person's sinking and then they're anchoring to the next and they're anchoring to the next and now the whole thing the whole thing is just anchored together like the entire equity market like the entire stock market like 50 percent of its value is like six companies yep and the and the and the price the price to earnings ratios are completely fucking jacked the, i mean the dumbest shit it's just like completely useless it just the whole thing is such a show it's a theater yeah. of numbers with no value underneath it and uh and we're all tied to it so the only thing they can do is to tie more people to it and keep pumping up the value by printing as much money as possible um and so that's where we are right now yeah. and uh because of that though like going back to the when money dies and weimar germany is that there were these constant periods of like okay there'd be a credit contraction and then there'd be this semblance of stability for this little little period or whatever people are like okay finally back to normal like okay god it was awful i can't believe we went through this huge mess but we're gonna get some stability now and every single time it was just the precursor to something a hundred times worse. Um, <laughs> like the exponents just got so stupid. Um, and, and I'll never forget the, this actually wasn't in when money dies, but it was the story of the Weimar Republic. When I first started learning about money that just, Jesus Christ, I just could not, I could not fathom, uh, was a, uh, a guy had a, uh, had 50,000 marks, um, was his retirement was his life savings. And uh, <clears throat> just as basically things were starting looking, starting to look really nasty in the the monetary 
set up, they froze and nationalized everybody's retirement. Um, I kind of think, I really kind of think that's what's going to happen to IRAs. Um, and I hate it. I hate it so bad, but I, I genuinely kind of think the, we must save pensions and retirements and everything that I think that's coming. Um, I mean, they don't really have an option, you know, they just, that's just what they do. They're corrupt and they confiscate to fix period. Um, and, uh, but he had 50,000 marks and that was actually like a significant life savings. I think it was like the equivalent of like $700,000 or something today. Um, and, uh, they would not, they froze everything, wouldn't let him get it. And, uh, he, uh, ended up, I think he ended up even like leaving the country. Um, and basically this whole thing played out for like 12 months or 10 months or some somewhere around there. It wasn't even like the span of time was crazy short. And like, when you really look at it, right. um, and the bank finally decided to open everything back up and pay their obligations. So they sent him a check for 50,000 marks. The stamp on the check was a hundred thousand mark stamp. Holy That's shit. That's how worthless the currency was. Holy shit. If you run an online store using Shopify, you've got to check out this app called Bad Customer. Here's the thing. Only 29% of credit card fraud comes from stolen cards. The rest, that means 71% is committed by the actual card holder. Scumbag that they are. They buy something, you ship it, and then they call their bank and whine like a little bitch that they didn't get it, so the bank gives them their money back. The bank doesn't care about you, the seller. They only care about their customer, and they don't perceive you to be their customer. So... What the Bad Customer app does is collect all of that chargeback data from millions of transactions. When someone places an order on your site, it tags it and warns you if that person or their address has a history of charging back their purchases. So you can decide whether or not you want to risk shipping that order. And the best part, it's completely free. Head to the Shopify app store and search for Bad Customer or visit badcustomer.org to learn more. If you sell things on Shopify, this is a must-have. Go to the Shopify app store and search for Bad Customer or visit badcustomer.org to learn yeah. more. Oh, that it's gave like me chills, man. For three cent, you know? Right, just, exactly, exactly. Um, <clears throat> oh, and, no, uh, that is awful. And, Can you imagine working yeah. your whole life? I mean, but... See, this is the thing. What what happened with the people in that environment? I mean, obviously they just scrambled to stay stay alive. But like, mm-hmm. was there? I mean that that led to the rise of of Hitler. Is that is that what we're looking at? Yeah, basically. Um, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, yes. Um, but uh, I, I think there's there's an element of there was no escape. They had no, they had no out. There was no exit valve for what was going on in the Weimar Republic. Um, and this is what, and obviously we're seeing the rise of populism and huge, horrible cultural divisiveness and political divisiveness. Like we're seeing a lot of the same recipes. Like this is just, this is empire. Like this is, this is what happens when the empire falls and we're seeing it. Um, it's kind of, it's really kind of just crazy that we're here during I, yeah. this time like, not, it, not just that we're here but we're we're experiencing it we're living through it and we're aware of it that we're a podcast the, talking about it like i know like, that's the thing that's the thing that really trips me out about this is like i don't know i feel and i guess i guess it's just it's hard for me to wrap a wrap my head around the fact that i'm living through a historical period like a really important yeah. historical period and and i just i'm maybe i'm just too 
uh, modest to be like, yeah, I'm not only am I living through a historical period, but I'm on the front lines of this motherfucker. And I'm talking about <laughs> it to be like, every week. Like it just doesn't feel real to me. And, and, uh, but I can't come to any other conclusion. It really feels like we are witnessing not only the end of the empire, the American empire, but also the end of the fiat empire. And that is, yeah. I mean, that is such a cataclysmic shift, something that you know, libertarians have dreamt of for the longest time. And it's like, oh, careful what you wish for, motherfucker. Like, yeah. <laughs> you may not Dreamt enjoy of the ride. and feared. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I think we have, I think we have a very interesting foundation of an alternative organizational system. And, and I mean that in the fact that our networks are becoming more important to us in at least in a lot of different cases um we're segmenting down we're we're creating new social groups and these things are becoming increasingly more important in the political environment and i think this is going to continue to be the case like this is what we've seen with this growth of the the what do you alt-right the whatever the, the intellectual dark web thing sure. <laughs> you know like people are desperate for critical thinking they're desperate for a story that isn't just fed to them bullshit. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and I think that's going to continue to accelerate. And I genuinely think like, I know I'm the Bitcoin guy and I just love Bitcoin and blah, blah, blah. But we cannot discount the impact of a monetary exit. Like we've never had that before. We have never had that in none of the stories of history. Has there been a clean, accessible, impossible to capital control monetary exit in any of these situations? And we're talking about a monetary collapse. So when you have a, the, the economy isn't really collapsing. You know, it's not like all the warehouses are just blowing up and the ships are all sinking. Like it's a monetary collapse. It's a collapse of communication. It's an inability to exchange an account for information of value. Right. If you can still do that, you can have an alternative economy that stays afloat amidst this. It just can't use the dollar. Right. Um, that, that and... is a, that's a very powerful differentiator between you know, now and the crisis we exist in now versus all yes. historical examples. But it also makes this one bigger because it's it's the global fiat system. Like we have had <laughs> we've had other nations where yeah. where they have had, you know, fiat collapse. We I don't think we've ever I in fact I know we've never had a period where you might see every single fiat currency across the globe mm. do that unless I'm sure a handful of them will tie themselves, make themselves exchangeable for gold, silver, other things like that. Those probably mm. will maintain some semblance of value. But the others that just, you know, uh, are ushering themselves towards the cliff, I don't see how you don't see like 90 plus percent of all fiat currencies on the planet just become valueless over maybe a decade period. Like that just seems, that seems like such a, I mean, it's, it's, it's so big, I can't even fully appreciate it. You know, it's, yep. it's like thinking about the universe yeah, yeah. almost. It's just like, I know, <laughs> I, I know it's out there, but I can't really envision it. It's just too big for me. No, for real though. Um, and, and that's also part of the reason why, like, I think there will be a great many um, 
sharp shocks to the system isolated in a bunch of different areas but i'm increasingly leading toward like the thing is just so big that it can't just fall all at once like like or we are watching it fall all at once but it's so big that it's a very very slow collapse you mm -hmm. know like like a, a giant can fall immediately just like just gravity free fall right but it's going to look like it's moving in slow motion right mm -hmm. um and I think that's why we should be looking at this in a 10 year, 15 year timeline. Yeah. Um, well, a perfect you know, example is be like, if you see one thing falling, you can identify it. But if everything's falling, everything is falling and not everything, you, you don't even, you don't yeah. even know because it, it's yeah. relative. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, interesting metaphor. It's going to be a very, it's going to be an interesting decade. Yeah. How <laughs> are your twenties going? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so do you think, uh, I mean, do you think that there's, there's value in, in opting into Bitcoin on a technical analysis basis, or do you just, most people I know just buy a, a fraction, you know, every month, uh, what's your, I mean, I'm, I'm just assuming that most of the people listening are going to take what we're saying seriously. And they're, and many of them have already, uh, you know, dipped a toe. Do you think that continuing to dip toes in a monthly fashion or, or watching for major corrections and then throwing your hat in the ring more heavily or, or a combination thereof? I think getting used to the tools is important um, mm -hmm. because I think we're increasingly going to, in the next couple of years, I think it's going to be dangerous potentially to have your Bitcoin with an exchange or a custodian. Um, and if that isn't entirely the case, I really don't see how it doesn't become a problem or at least it doesn't become a battleground that we have to fight. Mm -hmm. um, but even if it doesn't, there is nothing like the insurance of knowing that you aren't fully wrapped up in that. Um, I right now am basically trying to get to the last, uh, my last major moves to be a full Bitcoin standard. I, I'm just going to do everything Bitcoin. Um, I am still right now, even though like I do have a lot of obligations in fiat, um, uh, I am basically moving everything to Bitcoin as quick as I can every time I get it. Um, and uh, I'm incredible, very happy. I'm totally okay with the volatility in the short run. Don't really care about that. Um, <clears throat> I want control of my capital. I, I, I want to own it. Um, but uh, uh, the right now, kind of my thinking is that we're in a very strong inflationary environment. Like the idea that inflation is 7% is so stupid. Um, it's easily, easily 20%, I think, um, probably a little bit higher. Um, the eighties, 1980s, like CPI model is half decent. And that's kind of where it's sitting at somewhere around like, like low twenties. Oh, is um, it? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody, uh, somebody, I can't even remember. I think it was like Safedine or somebody, um, uh, uh, tweeted out. Um, but the 1980s model is obviously projecting far, far higher. Um, yeah. but the CPI in general is a, is a terrible terrible measurement it's a unitless measurement it's a it like like it's literally it's like trying to measure your house by comparing it to other houses like without a unit mm -hmm. it, it literally makes no sense and uh there's so many different things wrong with it like it the cpi itself like the basket of things in the cpi is dependent on your purchasing power so like like let's say everybody eats a steak for dinner and it's like 20 bucks to eat this steak 
and then the price of steak goes up to $30. That's 50% inflation. But uh, nobody can afford $30 because they, they still have the $20 salary, $20 right. wages. Well, then they all switch to buying two chicken breasts for $19. And suddenly the CPI has people are buying chicken breasts instead. So it looks like we had a 1% increase in the value of money. <laughs> so, right. No, just buying shit meat because you can't afford the steak anymore. Like that's how exactly. bad CPI is. It's that, and, it's just stupid. And if you've been to a grocery store, you know that it's a very <clears throat> significant issue. If you've tried to buy real estate, you know it's a significant issue. I mean, the, the market for real estate is up like 50% in many markets over the past 18 months. I mean, that is lunacy. And yeah. largely it's a product. Of, I, th this, this is another conflating factor that makes my analysis really challenging is that because of the lockdowns, you have had flight. You have had you know, population inflows from blue states into red states. And that those are the states that I'm referencing that have seen 50% increases over the past 18 months. And then you've mm -hmm. seen, but even in the blue states where you've had population outflow on net, you still see yeah. prices increasing by 10, 15, 20% in real estate year over year. I mean, these are, these are outrageous figures given that you have population outflow. <laughs> like you yeah. have people leaving and real estate is increasing. I mean, that's pure, to me, that's purely a monetary phenomenon. Like it is, it's, a, mm -hmm. it's predicated on both the diminishing value of the dollar, but also availability of it when it comes to uh, record low interest rates and, and then, you know, fed stimulus that is pumped it into people. It's, I mean, the, like the, the only conclusion I can come to is that they are ushering in a collapse and, and we've already talked about other ways that they might be ushering in a collapse in terms of um, unrealized capital gains taxes, but then you've also maintained record low interest rates for 12 years straight, you know, increasingly lower. Um, these are, even by a Keynesian model, this is suicide. You don't do this. So I don't know how I conclude anything other than this is their game plan. And if it is their game plan, what is their exit strategy? Are they, are they simply expecting this? They are, they are going to, essentially, they're, they're, they're recognizing, they're realizing that their debt um, holdings are too significant or the debt that they owe and, and they're planning to break the dollar intentionally and then switch to central bank digital currencies to compete with Bitcoin, given that they can't really compete with Bitcoin. That seems like a suicide pact. I'm like, I can't, I cannot for the life of me figure out what they're trying to do. Do you have any idea or am I too deep down the Alex Jones rabbit hole? Um, no, uh, I think, I think the writing is on the wall that they need to have a monetary reset. Um, and it's not even, I mean, in no uncertain terms, like they've just kind of openly been talking about it, really. I mean, this is build back better. This is the great reset. They're talking about a reset of the financial system. I think they're going to attempt, I think the, the, the idea of a controlled demolition, like how they're probably justifying it, is that a controlled demolition will be less destructive than a natural demolition. One of them is going to either either the meteor is going to strike or we're going to we're going to manage the meteor. and We're going to let it hit in these particular areas and we're going to we'll make sure everything's nice and yeah. soft when it's, everything. Basically, the, the metaphor would be 
there's there's yeah. a meteor coming towards us. We're gonna nuke it so that it it creates a it thousand smaller meteors. Lots of different, please. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, I honestly, exactly. I think that's I think that's what the Great Reset is. It's like we see yeah. this meteor coming that's gonna break everything. We're gonna blow it up before it impacts, and it's just gonna. It's. I mean, it's still gonna fuck everything up, it's but it's just pepper the whole freaking world with <laughs> yeah, it. it's like yeah, I, tiny I mean, nuclear explosions, yep. and uh, we are going to, you know, uh, basically wipe the slate clean. They're going to have a massive debt jubilee, and probably put in these SDRs like special drawing rights, which they've been pushing for. 10, 15 years. I mean, like they're building the foundations of this for a long time. And I think they just, I think they know like anybody, anybody in those positions, I feel like you read a little bit of history about what you do about financial history. And they're like, Oh, well, yeah, this looks like crap. This is, this is, I don't know. It's so obvious to me. And maybe that's just my bubble. You know, maybe that's just my perspective makes it so unbelievably clear that this is what's happening <laughs> right. um i can't fathom that they don't see it but um i don't I mean, know especially a lot with the language with the language they use it's i mean <clears throat> I, I don't even think we're having to reach I, you know i think it's like no. this yeah. this is what they're planning to do but uh, again I, I i circle back to my final question on that if if they are doing as they say, and if we are analyzing this correctly, how is it that they can compete with Bitcoin by is issuing SDRs, CBDCs, uh, whatever, to try and you know reset their bullshit system? It seems as if if you're if you're a person who is lit who has just lived through a global collapse of fiat currencies, why the fuck would you trust any of the products that they roll out? I mean, it seems exactly. to me that they would have to criminalize all other non-government owned currencies. Is that is that how they play I, this? I think they're going to want to, and they're going to try to very, very hard, but the, the degree of separation and um, the, the, the degree of disparate actors that are in something that huge, uh, the, they have the appearance of control, but they do not have control. And uh, I think they're going to slowly realize that, like that's going to s slowly become a reality. And we're going to see uh, balkanization in a, mm -hmm. in a very, very glorious and potent fashion because essentially monetary and financial systems are institutions and um, structures of trust. You can't, you don't just like, you don't hit the reset button and everybody trusts you again. Um, and uh, I think I really genuinely think the Bitcoin and uh, crypto movements, like the idea of independently determining these rules and creating these institutions uh, is just, is just the biggest thorn in everything they think they have control over. Mm -hmm. Um and it's going to be an utter mess because nobody's going to give a shit about those SDRs. Um, everybody who wants to grasp to a little bit of power in the legacy system is going to think, oh, I got to get, I got to get at the top of the SDR chain and I got to stand with the dude and I got to shake his hand and take a picture. Um, and they're going to really, really try to, but it's, uh, it's going to be, it's, you know, deck tears on the Titanic, man. Yeah. Um, I don't think it matters. 
I mean, it's and... just because you, you've lost, you've lost the people. I mean, that, that's, yes. that's really what matters is yes. who is going to use your product? Cause it's what it is as a product. It's a bullshit product. It's a legally monopolized product, but it's a product nonetheless. And it's a fucking terrible product. And you just live through complete economic collapse because you mismanaged this shit so badly. And you're going to turn around, you know, after you've punched me with your right hand, you're going to ha hand me some additional bullshit paper with your left. And I'm going to be like, like it's a bunch of salt, rub it in your eyes. Like yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, they're just going to rub the bullshit currency back in my face. And I'm going to be like, Oh, thank you. Let me put it in my pockets. I'm going to be like, no, I'm going to convert this to Bitcoin as fast it as burns possible. so good. That's how you know it's working. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't understand but, uh, the gameplay there because it seems uh, so doomed to fail. I mean, and I obviously yeah. I'm rooting for it to fail, but it's just like these people, like we, we go back and forth between these people are so stupid. They're so smart. They're so sinister. They're so absent-minded or ignorant. And I can't really come to a conclusion on this particular thing because I think that they are smart. I mean, I think they're also evil, but I think they're smart. And this, this plan doesn't seem like it has a, uh, a soft landing as the, you know, a lot of people like to talk about that term with economic uh, collapses is finding a soft landing. Like, it seems like they are, they are not just pushing us towards a cliff, but they are running as fast as they can towards it. And that to me makes me almost have to conclude they have real certitude that they can do this in a fashion that maintains their power structure. Are they just deluded? I think they're hoping. Or um, okay. Well, no, no, they're they're arrogant. No, they're they're probably that deluded. Um, yeah, um, and but what's funny is that I think the only, I think Bitcoin is going to be such a strong foundation, and it's going to do so much for so many people in protecting retirements, protecting IRAs, protecting against capital controls, like like what it's done, like highest per capita um, adoption for uh, Bitcoin right now. Eastern Europe, Sub-Saharan Africa, um, Central America, uh, Southeast Asia, like everything that's being hit with all these, all the worst of the consequences of this currency manipulation, like it's becoming a, obvious. It's just becoming obvious. Um, and as that continues to accelerate and that role of like, holy shit, this is a monetary foundation that is just ex external to this. Um, is that the only perceived legitimacy that they could hang on to is if they tie themselves to the success of Bitcoin. If they tie themselves to this, like, see, we let you use this. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we had to, you know, you had to prick your finger and send in a DNA sample and scan your eyeballs to get into the exchange. But we let you do that. We're the ones who did this and saved your, you know, retirement and all of this stuff. Like the, the cultural the the cultural movement is cannot be discounted for how unbelievably powerful it is and um and i think they're going to try to grasp onto that sense of legitimacy um because i think you're absolutely right like there's just no there's no landing out of this it's just a it's just an utter mess um but right, basically right my right now my strategy my my whole philosophy is if, if you want to narrow down my financial philosophy and like what I'm orienting for and trying to set up for is I'm keeping all of my liabilities in the legacy system and I'm keeping all of my assets in the Bitcoin system in every way, shape or form um, value uh, like my podcasting, like business, like all of that stuff. I am desperately trying to be 
in the Bitcoin ecosystem, in the uh, intellectual dark web or, you know, the alternative economy. I'm on the Internet. I'm a digital. I could be a digital nomad if I needed to. I have roots, but I've got there's a backup plan if I need to. But my whole financial life goes with me. Like I don't I don't need anything that is right here other than my family and they can come with me. That's um, amazing. Do you have and, do you have a, a a write up or an episode that you could recommend people to get themselves into your position? Shit. Um, I'm kind of working on that right now, actually. Um, probably I'm trying to think of a good episode where we talked about. Actually, you know what? Start with the one we just did on Preston Pish. Um, okay. uh, Preston Pish and Greg Foss and myself, um, kind of talking about the the overarching. It's a, it's a little bit like this discussion of the the pieces of the puzzle. And he really kind of gets in, Foss in particular gets into like the bond markets and stuff. But mm -hmm. we really kind of talk about, we hit a, a little bit on the specifics of strategy of getting loans, like like that sort of thing. Like, like whatever you can manage, liability is actually being heavily, heavily incentivized right now. It's cheap. It is unbelievably dirt cheap. If you can manage debt if you can manage another 400 a month bill to get a hard asset to get something some real capital somewhere buy you know a house whatever it is any anything that's going to not just get obliterated by inflation do it mm -hmm. um like like this is probably going to be one of the last spans of time in which that's really easy to do mm -hmm. um so don't stretch yourself too thin to the point that you just get clobbered, but look very, very seriously into all of your different avenues for increasing your liabilities on the fiat side. Yeah. And, and moving your assets more to the hard side. Yeah. It makes a mm -hmm. lot of sense to me. I, I actually, I just bought a, a new car for the first time in over a decade and I got a 2022 Corvette Stingray. It's just a masterpiece of a vehicle. And I felt, <laughs> I felt really bad about buying it because I was like, I've never bought anything that expensive in terms of a quote unquote depreciating asset. And, mm -hmm. and the more I think about it, because I, I, I didn't have to take out a loan, but I did um, two and a quarter percent interest rate or whatever it is. And, and I'm just thinking to myself, like this, this may be a tremendous asset, actually, because that thing yeah. is, is you so, already made I your mean, money back. Yeah, I, yeah. Oh no, it's already worth. I think probably 130, 140 thousand. I paid a hundred, so it's 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 because there's such a terrible shortage in production. This is so, so like, stupid. I mean, it's crazy. But then it's also probably a collector's item because it's the first rear engine Corvette. It's I mean, it's genuinely oh, a masterpiece. Yeah. The car is phenomenal. Um, so I'm just thinking to myself, like, man, maybe that was a <laughs> maybe that was an investment. Did I buy yeah. my dream car as an investment? Like, what a what a crazy world we live in. Uh, but it's possible. The the big question I have is. I, the only reason I don't give people that advice that you just uh, laid out in terms it's, of taking it feels dangerous. It feels like a terrible thing to say. I, well, yeah. well, and and it well it it is if there is a deflationary collapse prior to the hyperinflationary blowout. And the only way I see that happening is if the Fed has the cojones to hike interest rates to buy themselves more time. Have you written off that as a possibility entirely that they diminish QE and that they hike interest rates or? Is there a chance that that could happen? As because the inflation is pretty significant, they are talking about it now, even though they're 
lying through their teeth and they're saying if they print trillions more, it'll fix it, which is fucking lunacy. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the classical response by the Federal Reserve when you have an inflationary period would be to hike interest rates. And that does actually slow things down. Uh, do you think there's Certainly. any chance of it? I don't. Um, but we could have we could have an interim moment. Um, we could we could go from one Fed minutes to yes, we're going to hike interest rates to the very next one. Oh, we're back to negative one, you know, sure. uh, and and it could actually be the very thing needed to justify the next round. Like they could do it. They could absolutely do it on purpose to cause an unbelievable market panic so that they could do what they were going to do anyway. But they're losing basically the the political will, the the, the right. support to keep doing it. Um, yeah. Because they could so be like, very well, hey, easy to we hiked hike interest rates because you guys you yeah. guys were so concerned about, uh, you know, the cost of turkey for Thanksgiving. So we hiked interest rates and now look what happened. So we have to do MMT <laughs> and we have to print 10 trillion more. You know? Now Thanksgiving is on fire. So we're going to <laughs> you're going to throw a lot of money at it and smother the fire again. Um, um, well, I've, so I've kept fixed you... interest debt. That, okay. that's, yes. That's, yes. that's where I'm that's where I'm going with that because of that. Um, okay. But yeah, definitely no no yeah. adjustable rate mortgages, folks. Please, no, oh, Jesus God. Christ, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so I, I'll get you out of here on this. We've we've already gone over time, but um, you know, there's this is the closing arguments today are for Rittenhouse. I know you were traveling, so I'm sure you haven't been following it super closely. Um, I've concluded that Kyle Rittenhouse is indeed uh, likely to be found innocent of all charges based off of self defense. Um, do you have any opinion as to the outcome? And also, uh, assuming I'm wrong and that he is found guilty, what does that portend for Americans? Uh, to me, it would be the end of self-defense, the end of the Second Amendment. I mean, I know people don't, you know, it sounds hyperbolic to put that much on a single case. But if that's not, not clear yet. self-defense, I don't know that you could possibly wield a weapon in this country in in self-defense and have any faith that you're not going to end up in prison for the rest of your life. Um, so I think it's that serious. What do you think? Yeah. Okay. Fully, <laughs> literally fully agree. Um, okay. I think the, if, if that is what happens, I think the precedent set would be absolutely horrific. Um, like the idea that, I mean, literally the best thing they have as far as an argument, the, the best the best argument they have, which isn't even an argument, is that Cross he showed lines. up with the gun. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And therefore, he was the one who escalated it. Right. But the guy he shot had a gun. Right. Like, so what? Like, violence. Violence is the escalation. If you attack somebody, you have escalated it. Like, the idea that you cannot defend yourself because you brought the gun to the situation is the idea that you're not allowed to defend yourself with a gun. That is all that is. There's no, there's no ability to distinguish outside of that. That's the whole argument. You can't defend yourself with a gun because you can't. A gun can't exist in the situation without you being the one who's escalated the situation. It's, um, it's so it's so backwards logically. I mean, insane. he is he is being pursued at full clip from the first guy like the guy is sprinting yeah. after him and then someone else not the guy that he ends up turns turning and firing on shoots a gun in the air right behind rittenhouse rittenhouse has no fucking clue what's happening yeah. he, he's being chased 
a gun gets fired like maybe 15, 20 feet behind the guy that's pursuing him, Rittenhouse turns around, says, fuck you, and fires. And it's like, yeah. that is the definition of self-defense. He is trying everything in his power to get out to get of the hell out of the situation. Yeah, he's right. I mean, the kid is so gassed. And then and then after the first uh, you know, death, he he is then retreating once again, trying to get to the police who have abdicated the role of defending the city entirely. And and he gets assaulted by multiple people and he only shoots those that actually assault him. And, and it's like this is so, it's so crystal clear to me. I'm stunned. Stunned there's no ambiguity. There's, there's zero none. ambiguity in it there's whatsoever. There's no ambiguity. And and you have seen thousands and th uncountless uh, Twitter accounts and Facebook accounts all banned permanently for saying that he did nothing wrong. And if yeah. he is exonerated on all, all charges, he has literally done nothing wrong in the eyes of the law. And yeah. and it's like, I just, I can't believe the world we live in. And I if he has done it. any... if. If the law finds that he has done anything wrong, the law is 100% wrong. Like, <laughs> well, I just, agree with that. I agree with so that. So obviously, yeah. uh, it, it's uh, it's absolutely unquestionable. It, it's insane that this is even a case. I, I yeah. mean, like if honestly, if the judge was being honest, or if the if this wasn't such a social issue right now, if this wasn't about politics, if this wasn't about like there's going to be fucking riots because yeah. he's innocent, he'd throw out the charges. Um, the the whole thing would have been thrown out. It never would have been a case. I totally um, could that's not, not agree this more. Is, this is politics. Yeah. Yep. This is this is a political show trial, and and some innocent person has their life on the line because of it. And I just it makes me sick. It really it yeah. really concerns me about the the social fabric of this country, about the belief in liberty, self defense, Second Amendment, all of these principles that are so vitally important and so you know uniquely American. And it's just, they're gone, you know, like it, I mean, I know, <laughs> I know I'm putting a lot of, a lot of gravity on this case, but I really believe that it means so, so much. And, uh, I don't know, fingers crossed, man. Cause it's going to be a big one. No, I agree. I agree. Unfortunately. Um, oh, God. luckily though, um, I'm actually an optimist <laughs> about all this. Um, <laughs> me too. I think, I think he's going like to be found it. not guilty, but it doesn't Jesus. sound like it, but the thing is, is that this was kind of the inevitable, inevitable end here. Um, like this was, I mean, you can make an argument that this was set in stone in 1971. Um, but that we were going to find ourselves here. Yeah. Um, and the amount of increasing pushback, the amount of people. Tyranny happens through complacency. Tyranny happens through slow, gradual compliance to, if I just do this next thing, they'll leave me alone. If I just do this next thing, they'll leave me alone. And that happens as long as everything's comfortable. As long as everything's pretty nice. Mm -hmm. You know, in the 90s, everything was pretty nice. So they take a little bit of... You know, can't have your silencers you can't you can't do this you can't do this as soon as they like nitpick all the stuff he's like okay well i got a nice job things are great uh you know new york skyline looks wonderful um let's uh let's not rock the boat so to speak uh so it's comply it's comply and comply yep. that has stopped happening i've seen the shift away from that attitude and the reason is is because 
Nobody's worried about rocking the boat when the boat's rocking. Everybody's already, it's a shit show. Exactly. And people who have just blindly done what they were told and been so scared of pissing off the left or the rioters or whoever it is, cancel culture, are now saying, you know what, just go fuck yourself. I don't care anymore. Right. And that is an unbelievably good sign. That also means that the people who have had power with everyone blindly complying are going to scream 10 times harder. They're going to get violent. They're going to turn into tantrum, psychotic little children, and they are going to go absolutely batshit. But that was always the inevitable end. We trained them to do that through compliance. Yep. And we are, people are done complying. And I'm very, very happy to see that pressure starting to build and people finally just staying up and saying, go fuck yourself, I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. Um, and yes, that means things are going to get violent. It's going to become awful for a little while. Uh, but I think that means also that that's the only way we have a better future. That's the only way we actually get out of this with something good at the other end, as opposed to just this quiet tyranny that we've been stuck with for a long time. Yeah. Well, that's uh, an optimistic note to end it on a little, little accelerationism uh, rant. I love those. So <laughs> uh, make sure you go follow him on Twitter at the guy Swan. That's S W A N N. And uh, as always, thank you so much for your time. Make sure you also go subscribe to Bitcoin audible. He, uh, he basically does audible versions of, of like the best Bitcoin articles and pieces and writings that are out there. Uh, it's a tremendous resource. Highly, highly recommend it to you guys. Is there any other uh, things you'd like to leave the audience with? Uh, no, that's it. Just find me on Twitter. I've got all sorts of stuff. Feel free to DM me, ask, ask questions or anything. I try to answer every day. Excellent. Yeah, he's a great resource. And uh, I knew this conversation would be great. And I'm thrilled we had it. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Appreciate it, man. If you love Liberty Lockdown, and you probably do because you've been listening all the way to the end, make sure you go over to Locals and become a supporting member of the show. Go to libertylockdown.locals.com to support the show, to become a subscribing member to the show. I have a special exclusive episode going there exclusively. You will only find it there, not on YouTube either. That is a deep dive on China, Evergrande, and I did it with an anonymous military scientist. That's all I can say about it. But it's a great episode. It's about an hour and a half long. All we do is talk about Evergrande and the collapse of China's economy, how that might help the U.S. dollar, and what investment uh, you know, protocols I would probably put in place to hedge against it. It also covers military conflict and the potential of such coming as a result of this crisis. So very interesting. Again, go to libertylockdown.locals.com to find that. It drops on Friday. Tomorrow, I have five-time UFC champion. No, excuse me. Five-time MMA champion, but also UFC champion, Jake Shields, one of my heroes and legends. It's going to be amazing to talk to him. He is extraordinarily based, and it's going to be great. Do not miss it. Big shout-out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all.
Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweet from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go. The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe. Like Nico and Shane, you probably wonder what's happening. Scared Hollywood left these lyrical feppin'. A typo with Luke might bring the nooses. We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses. Freckles and Brit, didn't know I could spit. Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm the shit. Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcaster sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty, now hear me roar Beat running up, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house No malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit I went over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government just call us fags Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Liable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky's Mouton was the only sound Getting so hot must be air July Screaming in the mic and rip for 59 Miles to ratio that black guns matter Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war but we're ready You know I be bopping and rock steady Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe